Well, I hope that you have your Bibles with you this morning and will turn with me to the third gospel, Luke chapter 24, Matthew, Mark, and then Luke. And I hope that you'll put your imagination to work as we read the scripture this morning. We're going to find out that Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, have all come to the tomb to anoint the body of Jesus with aromas or spices. Now let's go backwards just a few days. You'll recall on Thursday night Jesus had that last supper with his disciples. He was betrayed. He was arrested. Overnight he was interrogated. He was beaten. He was scourged. He was condemned to death. At nine o'clock in the morning he was nailed to the cross with seven inch spikes that went through his wrist and through his feet. And by three o'clock that afternoon he had died. Joseph of Arimathea, who secretly followed Jesus at a distance, went to Pilate and requested that he be able to take possession of the body and to place it in a tomb that had not been used by any person. So that's what happened. Jesus is taken to this tomb. Now, keep in mind that tombs back in Jesus' day, were cave-like structures hewn out of rock. And those of us, 32 of us, who went to Israel and Jordan back in the fall of 2014 saw some of these tombs in the side of rock. Typically, there would be uh, some type of table that would be raised up several feet, and the body was placed on that table inside that cave-like structure. And they would wrap the body in linen shrouds to preserve the body and come back the following day to anoint it with spices and with aromas and with oil. So that's what's happening here in this text. It's early on Easter morning, on the first day of the week, Sunday, and these women have come back to the tomb. So follow along with me as we read the text together. On the first day of the week, That would be Sunday, and keep in mind, the previous day for the Jewish people is the Sabbath. So that's why the women have not gone on Saturday, because it would represent work. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Now, those cave-like structures had round stones that were in tracks or grooves, and they could roll the stone away and then place it in front of the tomb to keep out wild animals from desecrating the body. So that round stone had been rolled away. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, and that word wondering means to be perplexed. It comes from a word and its root means to lose your vision or to lose your sight. So literally, the women had come to the tomb, and they were so perplexed and so amazed that temporarily they lost their vision, their sight of what was going on. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living 
among the dead. Literally, out of the Greek, it reads, Why do you look for the living one among the dead ones? That's how it literally reads. He is not here. He has risen or he has been raised. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. And then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven. Now the eleven would be the eleven remaining disciples after Judas Iscariot's death. They told all of these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them. Now we know the others had to be women because in the Greek, the feminine, not the masculine, for others is used. So it was the other women with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Your text may read like an idle tale. That, that Greek word comes from a word, it's a medical term, and it means to have a delirious mind. It means to be fever, feverishly insane. You're crazy. And that's what those uh, apostles, those disciples, thought their words, the words of the women, seemed like words of a delirious mind speaking. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves. And he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. Go back to verse 11. But they, meaning the apostles, did not believe the women. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Parent who ever had a kid who ever asked for a pet. Here's Steve Hartman on the road. 24 hours. For as long as her parents can remember, 11-year-old Brianna Carsey has had this crazy dream. Hmm? She has always wanted a broodmare, a mommy horse, that would give birth to a baby horse that would grow up to become a racing champion. Absolutely. This was a fairy tale for her from day one. We put it off for five years almost because we don't have a farm. So we got to go rent stalls somewhere. This sounds expensive. Yeah. Why don't you say no? Well, as she'll tell you, she has me wrapped around her finger. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> her foal, an Ohio Standard Bread, was born in the spring of 2013. She named it MJB Got Faith. MJB for the initials of the kids in her family, and Got Faith for the faith she instantly had in him. I really loved him. From the beginning? Mm-hmm. He's super soft, too. <laughs> Sweet. But that quick bond posed a real problem for this pushover dad. Come here, bud. See, for whatever reason, Brian thought once he explained to his daughter that her horse could never race, that it was a runt from poor breeding stock, she would just agree to sell it. But obviously not. 
<laughs> She's like, there's no price, Daddy. So I'm talking to my wife. It's like, you know, we really got ourselves in a mess here. Yeah. And I don't know how we're going to get out of this. So we stake him to the races. This horse that doesn't belong in the races. The horse that I thought we should have gotten rid of already. <laughs> he was more about the money. What were you seeing that your dad wasn't seeing? He didn't believe in him. Brian was stuck, committed to boarding and training this long shot to end all long shots. Yep. And this is not a wealthy family. Brian runs a small logistics company, and Ohio Racing, which is harness-style racing, is a $900 million a year industry. I want to see him go fast. MJB Got Faith was so slow he barely even qualified to compete. But then somehow, someway, won his first race, won his second race, his third, and his fourth, qualifying him for the state championship held recently in Columbus, Ohio. And I said, baby, if you finish third, you should be so thankful. She goes, daddy, if he finishes last, I'm gonna be thankful, but he's gonna win. <laughs> and so it was that this little horse with no pedigree, this pet with no reason for being here beyond the blind faith of a little girl, won an Ohio Sire Stakes Championship. She said, Dad, I told you, you got to have faith. Brianna took home $100,000 that day. She has already given away half of it to charity. And as for the other half, she plans to use that money as a down payment on a farm. I just want to have a farm and be able to go walk out my back door and see him. And that's her plan for happily ever after. Just a girl, her horse, and knowing her father. Dad, can we please get a cat? No. Probably a cat. <laughs> Two. Steve Hartman on the road in Connersville, Indiana. Dad, can I please have a cat? No. They did not believe the women. 11-year-old Brianna Carsey said about her father's perspective on her horse, MJB Got Faith, he didn't believe in him. And the father, Brian, when Got Faith won that Ohio championship, and when he had the check in his hand for $100,000, he remembered the words of his daughter. He said in that piece, she said, Dad, I told you, you got to have faith. You got to have faith. That, that seems to be where the tension lies in people as we all consider the risen Christ. Evidence versus you got to have faith. Now, you know a lot of us are good attorneys in the courtroom. We want to see the evidence presented and proved, right? A lot of us are like the scientists in the laboratory. We want to know how it works. We want to see how it works. We want to see the empirical facts and data presented and proved. Living in a scientific age is good because we like to see things empirically tested and verified and understood. Nothing wrong with that, but sometimes that methodology has affected our faith. 
And we've seen Christians through the years like a Josh McDowell who years ago wrote the book Evidence That Demands a Verdict. Or we have even seen scholars who test the reported burial shroud of Jesus in Turin who all have sought to vindicate Christianity and the resurrection with scientific, reason-based, factual information. It's that courtroom and that laboratory perspective that the one that we call Doubting Thomas in John's Gospel shows us. The other disciples have already seen the risen Jesus, but he hasn't. And he says in chapter 20, verse 25, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were and put my hand to his side, I will not believe it. Thomas was a man before his time. He wanted resurrection proof. The father in the video that we just saw, Brian Carsey, wanted some proof before he invested all of that money that he didn't have and all of that time and energy that he didn't have, before he put all of that into a horse that he thought just couldn't compete. St. Augustine understood that same paradox 17 centuries ago when he wrote, Since it is God we are speaking of, you do not understand him. If you could understand, it would not be God. Like those first disciples, we may think it's a little bit of a sign of weakness, a little bit of a sign of a wild and delirious thinking, nonsense, if we even entertain the possibility of the resurrection. Thinking, perhaps, that some feverish or insane mind that we may have might defy our logic and our rational self if we entertain the possibility that you got to have faith in this resurrected Jesus. But Brian Carsey, faced with the assertion that his daughter's horse got faith was a winner, had to make a choice. It was a choice that flew in the face of understanding and evidence, and it yielded to a love and a faith in his daughter. And that choice that he made is often the choice that becomes our choice. It's a choice that Peter initially makes when the women return to that place where the disciples had gathered after Jesus' death, and the women reported that God had raised Jesus back from the dead. Like Brian the father embracing the faith of his daughter Brianna, Peter believes these women. And it's on their testimony that he returns to check things out. You know there are a lot of people in the world for whom the risen Jesus is a point of belief because of the testimony of someone else. They run to the empty tomb without any evidence, without any direct experience of the risen Christ, their faith is based on someone else. I'm just wondering this morning, are you someone today whose faith is based on a parent? Or your faith is based on a child? Or a spouse? Or a sibling? Or a friend? Or a mentor? Or a Sunday school teacher? Or a pastor? Is your faith this morning based 
on someone else's faith, but there's no personal experience that you have of the risen Christ. I'm going to tell you what I think the real crux of Easter is. I think the real crux of Easter is not necessarily an empty tomb or an absent body. Although I believe in an empty tomb and an absent body, and I think Scripture attests to it all four Gospels unanimously. They all agree. A lot of different details in the four Gospels, but they all agree on two things. Empty tomb, absent body. The absence of a body. Scientific verification, empirical evidence or understanding, the testimony of someone else we trust, I don't think that's, that's fully sufficient. The real proof of Easter is having a personal experience with the crucified and the risen Christ. That encounter, that personal encounter, is what turned the table for Peter and those other disciples later in Luke's Gospel. That personal encounter and experience with the crucified and risen Jesus is what turned the table for Thomas in John's Gospel. It's what shifted everything. It was the deciding factor for Mary Magdalene, weeping in the garden, wondering who had stolen her Lord's body, and then encountering the one whom she thought was the gardener and turned out to be the risen Jesus. What changed for Brian the dad was not Brianna's belief or testimony that her horse could win, but having an, a personal encounter with a horse named Got Faith who defied all the odds, won an Ohio State championship, and dad held the $100,000 check in his hand. It was personal experience with the fact and with, with reality. I think that's what it takes for all of us. It takes a personal experience with Jesus to move us away from whatever's holding us back from receiving Him as the risen Lord. Moving us away from needing science always to verify things. Moving us away from the testimony of someone else or of our need of evidence or complete understanding. As Brianna told her father, Dad, I told you, you got to have faith. And what's so bad about faith? And that faith takes root when we open ourselves up to a personal encounter with Jesus. You know, last Sunday morning, during our Passion Palm Sunday worship, at the 11 o'clock Emerge service, during the response time, someone came down to speak to me. And she said to me, she said, you know, all of my life, I've read the stories about Jesus dying on the cross, suffering, being raised back to life. But this morning, because of the message of the music, because of the message of the drama, because of the message of the scripture that was portrayed, she said, for the very first time in my life, Jesus is real. 
I know He died for me. I know He suffered for me. I know that God raised Him for me. Personal experience. Personal experience. That's what fuels the faith. You may be wondering this morning, how is it? How is it that you can have this personal experience with the risen Christ? Well, you know, it's different for everyone. What happened to this young lady last Sunday might not be the way that I have the personal experience. And the way I have the personal experience might not be the way that you have the personal experience. But what I'll tell you this morning is that it begins because deep down in your soul, in your heart of heart, deep within your gut, within the fabric of who you are, there's something deep within that's calling out and that's wanting to have this personal experience with the risen Jesus, and you want it more than anything else in the world. It really does begin with your wanting it and feeling that need for it. And when it happens, when that personal experience with the risen Christ takes place, all of us, I think, join the Old Testament character Job, who said in Job 42, verse 5, My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. It takes more than just your ears. It takes your eyes experiencing the risen Christ. May it be for you, for all of us today, on this Easter celebration. Let us pray. God, on a scale of 1 to 10, with 1 being not very much faith, and 10 being about having all of the faith we can possibly muster, Every one of us in this room probably fall at different increments along that continuum. Lord, regardless of where we are this morning, we know that you are a God who meets us where we are. You meet us there at the risen tomb, eager to reveal yourself to us in a personal experience. And for those of us who have yet to open ourselves up to that, you wait patiently for us. And your love never ends. You continue knocking on the door of our hearts. You continue to invite us to open ourselves up to you. On this Easter day of celebration, God, help each of us to be willing to perhaps take one more step forward in that measure of faith of that continuum. Help us, God, to have the faith that your Son had that sent him to the cross. Help us to believe in ourselves as much as you believe in us. And remind us, O oh God, that as we move forward with you, that you did indeed come to give us newness of life, to tear down and destroy and to put to death the old self and to raise up a new self that looks like, thinks like, acts like, and talks like your son and has the heart of your son. So, Father, 
we commit ourselves to nurturing and growing our faith in you and continue to give us those personal experiences with your risen Son, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, friends, this morning we're going to sing that great hymn of our Christian faith, Christ the Lord is Risen Today, number 367 in your hymnals. And as we sing it together, it may be that there's someone here today who doesn't have faith, and you want to profess it. You want to confess it and name it and celebrate a faith in Jesus, maybe accepting Christ as Lord and Savior for the very first time in your life. I'm going to be standing at the front. And if I can hear your decision on becoming a new Christian, I would welcome that. It could be that quietly where you stand to sing the hymn, or maybe as you move to one of our two prayer stations at the back. Uh, we have some side prayer stations for our children. Maybe you'd want to go and pray with one of our ministers or leave a prayer request, and we'd invite you to do that. You might have been through our Oakmont 101 class recently, and you're ready to become a part of the Oakmont Church family. I'll be at the front and would love to receive that decision as well. And as has been our custom for the last several years, today we are going to be receiving an Easter offering. It will go towards the good work of the Oakmont Community Center, as outlined in your worship bulletin this morning. And if you didn't come today prepared to, to share in that offering, but would like to later uh, in this month or even into April, we'd invite you to consider making a generous gift that funds the good work of the Oakmont Community Center. So those are the ways that you can respond today, and I trust that you will as God leads you. Let's stand together and let's sing our hymn.
Well, good morning, Oakmont. The peace of Christ be with you. I want you to take a moment and look around to those who may be beside you, in front of you, and offer those same words of peace today. 